0: If you are using a Bible from the back, we'll be starting on page 1015. We'll be in 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, says God's word. You may be seated. <clears throat>
1: Where there's some sermons, some topics, some passages of scripture that are, are great to teach. Uh, some are really popular. Uh, when I talk about love, everyone thinks, oh, yeah, that's great. And when you talk about grace and about how much God loves you, it's like, yes, that's wonderful. Um, today, we're not talking about something that's very popular. Uh, we're talking about something today that you would only preach if you were preaching through a book of the Bible. This is never a topic you would just pick. Uh, you would never go, this is what I think everyone would like to hear. And that's why I love to go through books of the Bible, because you end up bumping into these things that otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't just want to talk about. It makes you feel a little too uncomfortable. And the scripture tells me as a preacher what my job is. I'll, I'll show it to you. I'll let you in on the secret here. It's not really to be funny or clever or insightful. It's to do this. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, I charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. By the way, that's a pretty significant charge, right? (laughs) I don't screw around with whatever's next. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means be ready when it's in season, right? When clothes are in season, they're fashionable, it looks good, it's popular. But when it's out of season, preach the word then too, he says reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths that tells me my job it tells me the setting we all have itching ears there's some things we like to hear about and what we're talking about today is not one of them what we're talking about today is submitting to authority submitting to authority. I want to just trace with you as we've been looking at this book of 1 Peter the argument that Peter's been making here in chapter 2. Remember Peter is one of the 12 apostles of Jesus and here's the argument that he's making. In the beginning of chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 he says remember your identity you're God's chosen people Uh, verse 9 is a great example of this. You're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's your identity. Then in verse 11 and 12, he says, conduct yourselves honorably. He says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So even though they speak against you and say you do evil, they'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify God. Conduct yourselves honorably. And then he goes into what we could describe, I guess, as a mini series on submission to authority. Isn't this interesting? Remember who you are in Christ. Now live among people honorably. And you think he's going to say, go feed the poor. Go love your neighbor. Go share the gospel with people in Africa. All of that's fine to do. But where does Peter go next? Peter says, if you want to know who you are and you want to live that out honorably, it will be seen in how you relate to authority. So this is not a popular thing, this is not a thing that we would like to hear, but it's a thing desperately that we need to hear. And so it began last week as we looked, John Benzinger led us through verses 13 through 17 and the idea of submitting to the authority of the government. Uh, Today we look in verses 18 to 25 at the idea of submitting to authority, uh, the the slave master, the employee-employee type relationship. And then in the coming weeks we'll look at what it looks like in the home uh, with wives and husbands and what that role looks like. By the way, I would encourage you, if you haven't yet, sign up for the Art of Marriage Conference. It's coming next weekend. You want to be here for that. Uh, you want to you register. You can uh, check out the city or the e-bulletin or something like that for more information, but, but be sure to do that. So in this series, we find ourselves in verse. Uh, this mini-series within the series, we find ourselves in verse 18, and it starts off with the word Servants. Now you may have a translation that says slaves. What Peter has in view here would be household servants, household slaves. And this entire section that we're looking at today is directed at slaves. Now that always raises a question, uh, particularly because so many uh, Christians sinfully and horrifically used passages like this to justify American slavery, so I always want to just spend a moment on that whenever we get to a passage like this and help you see, and I can't go in depth to this, but, but the, there's a massive, massive difference between this kind of slavery in the Roman Empire and the kind of American slavery that we experienced in, in the, the colonies and in the early part of our country. In our country, people became slaves through kidnapping Uh, They often broke families up. There was no way really to earn your way out of it. If you were born into it, you were stuck there. Whereas in the Roman colonies, often it happened as you were a prisoner of war. uh, They would often have an opportunity to earn income. They often had incredibly important professions like teachers and doctors and nurses. They would be household and estate managers. They had an opportunity to earn enough money in many cases to earn their way out. And so it's not the same thing. Probably the closest thing would be kind of an employee-employer type relationship. Here's how one commentator describes it. Wayne Grudem says this. He says, A word stronger than servant, but weaker than slave is needed. So that that word, verse 18, servants. This is the the Greek word he's talking about. How do we translate that word? There isn't a good word for this. He says, Something meaning a semi-permanent employee without legal or economic freedom. And then he continues, although servant comes the closest, no single English word is adequate, perhaps because no comparable institution exists in modern Western society. So you get the idea. There's inherently a kind of disconnect there. But here's what I want you to think about through the rest of this message as it relates to this passage. What Peter's going to tell us, what he's going to command to us here, relates to any of us that are under authority. So if you work a job where you report to a boss, you're under their authority. If you play a sport for a team and, you're, and there's a coach, you're under that coach's authority. If you live in a neighborhood that has an HOA, you are under their authority. right? And, and on and on it goes. You, you, could, you could look at that. We'll look specifically at what it looks like in the home in the coming weeks, but, but you get the idea. So think about in what areas of life are you under authority? And these principles apply to that as well. Here's where we're going to go today. We're going to look at three things from this passage. We're going to first look at what submission is. Then we're going to look at uh, why submission is godly. And finally, the, the power to submit. So what submission is, why submission is godly, and the power to submit. And so first, what submission is. It, we get it here in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. This idea of be subject, if you look up in verse it's up in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, then verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters, then verse uh, chapter 3 verse 1, likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands. Here's what submission is. I want to give you kind of a four-part definition. Submission is putting yourself under authority with respect even when it hurts for the Lord's sake. That's what submission is. Putting yourself under authority with respect even when it hurts for the Lord's sake. This word, be subject to, here in verse 18, means to place yourself under it's the idea of, of willingly having an attitude that places yourself under. So I think about a couple scenarios where this has been uh, the case for me. So I, a few years ago, I coached for Higley High School. I was a volunteer baseball coach. And, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to be able to just help somebody uh, else out? And so I went, and I, I had a connection to this particular coach. And so uh, I, I talked with him and said, hey, um, do you need any help? I'd love to help. And... and I played a higher level of baseball than he did. You could argue that potentially I knew more about baseball than he did. I don't know if that's true. He was pretty, he was pretty sharp. But I, I, in that moment, I, I subjected myself to his authority. I said, Mike, I'm here to hit ground balls. I'm here to throw batting practice. I'm here to, to do anything you want. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. That, that's, that's that attitude of submission, it's the same attitude I have to have in our church. I'm Even though I'm a lead pastor, I'm subject to our elders. Our elders, we were just talking at our last meeting about how we're going to handle a, a performance review for me. And that's an appropriate kind of thing because I'm, I'm under authority. They have the authority to fire me. They have the authority to do all kinds of awful things to me. <laughs> they, they don't. Uh, they're wonderful but they could. And I'm under that authority. I, I'm And get this, this is about the heart attitude of this. It's putting yourself under authority. That's what be subject to means. It's putting yourself under authority with respect. Do you see that verse 18? Be subject to your masters with all respect. Many of you say it this way to your children. You'll say, sweetie, you need to obey me right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Right? And, and that phrase, I don't know if it's from the Greebies or from someone else, but, but that phrase is infiltrated a lot of our parenting. And that, it's that last part, with a happy heart. Right? S- being subjects, placing yourself under someone's authority, if it lacks the respect he calls for in verse 18, then it's not submitting. It's not submitting. It's, 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 you're white knuckling it, you'll go along with it fine, but if you don't do it respectfully, if you can't get there with a happy heart you're disobeying this. So it's putting yourself under authority with respect even when it hurts. It's this next part of the verse that is especially distasteful to us. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust says this is not saying willingly place it was it's easy to place myself under the authority of our elders because they love me and they're godly men and they honor the lord they're they're here's what it says they're they're good and gentle it's harder to do it if they're unjust and this word unjust is is a word that means crooked it's it's the word that we get the idea of scoliosis from Scoliosis is the curvature of the spine. He's saying even when people are crooked, even when they're not straight-laced, even when they're not doing the right thing, you're still subject to them. You don't have the ability to say, well, but, but, but you're not a good person. You're not kind. This is where the rubber meets the road because when we go to our jobs and we have people that are possibly the incarnation of Satan that we work for, right? They take all the credit for the stuff you do. They're demanding, right? One minute they're, they're kind and the next minute you go, what happened to you? Right? I mean, you've had, have you had experiences like that? Those are the kind of people that Peter is saying, submit to them. John Benzinger last week talked about the inner lawyer inside, right? That's objection, objection. I I don't know about that. And right now, that's probably firing up in you. I came across this quote about this, and this is all I'll say on it. Let this make the point. One commentator said this. Many commentators on this passage hurry to mention that there are exceptions to Peter's instruction, that there are instances when civil disobedience is biblically justified. However, if we mention it at all, we must not rush into this phase of our discussion because Peter's emphasis in this passage is not on disobedience, but obedience. He's saying, I, I know that you got the inner lawyer thing and you're going to figure out all these loopholes and you're going to... But, but, but just for now, feel the, feel the discomfort of this. Because it's easy to buckle under authority when people are unjust, when people are crooked. But, but you're representing Christ. And the godly thing to do here, godly people respectfully submit to authority. So, so Peter doesn't, doesn't mention the exceptions. He, he doesn't leave us those, those things. He wants us to focus on the difficulty of this truth. Submitting is putting yourself under authority with respect even when it hurts. And this begs the question, well, then why? Why? Why would you do it? And that's the last part of the definition. For God's sake. Putting yourself under authority with respect even when it hurts for the Lord's sake. That's what it is. Look at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God... One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It's that key phrase. You can underline it there, mindful of God. It means conscious of God, thinking about God. We see the same exact idea up in verse 13. Look at that. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Why? Because we're representing him Right? Any authority, J- John did a brilliant job explaining wh- wh- Peter's idea here and the Bible's idea that any authority that exists exists because it comes from God. And so, in submitting to a human authority, we're actually submitting to God's authority. And, and, and He is our master. He is, that's what Lord means, right? When people say, Is Jesus your Lord? What they mean, is, is Jesus your master? Not is Jesus the one you conveniently follow when you feel like it, but is he your master? You do what he says. That's what a a disciple hears God's word and obeys what he says. And so we do this mindful of God, conscious of God, thinking about God. And let me tell you, that's the only way you can do it if you're in a relationship where you're under the authority of someone who's truly crooked. The only way you endure that is for the Lord's sake. Think about my mother-in-law. She's been a nurse for a number of years at a hospital in Ohio. And it's been an awful work environment. And she's endured it for years. She was recently transferred out of it and rejoices with that. But it wasn't just her boss. It was the whole environment, a lot of complaining, a lot of, I mean, you know that whole world. And the only thing that got her through was to go, I'm sent here by God. I'm his representative. I'm here for his sake. So that's what submission is. Putting yourself under authority with respect, even when it hurts for the Lord's sake. So that's the first thing, what submission is. Second thing, why submission is godly. That's an interesting way to say that, because godly means godlike. Uh, This means it's, it's a good thing. It's a righteous thing. So submission is not a dirty word. Right? The only time we really hear it is, you know, if you watch UFC, right? And the guy gets, you know, taps out, he gets submitted, and you're like, I don't want to do that. This is voluntary, surrendering yourself, placing yourself under someone else's authority, and God says it's good. Here's why. He gives us three reasons in this text why it's good. The first one is it's a gracious thing. It's to your credit, it's a gracious thing to your credit. It, it, it's, it's a good thing. Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This idea of a gracious thing, that phrase literally means it's a grace. It's grace. So do you get the argument of verse 20? He's saying, listen, if you, if you screw up and you pay the consequences for it, no one goes, wow, you really endured that punishment. You're impre- you deserved it. But he's saying when you work for someone who's crooked, when you're under the authority of someone who's unjust... And, and, they, and they treat you harshly and they're cruel and they lack integrity, and you suffer under that, and you endure it because you're doing good for doing the right thing. That's a good thing. That's a grace. And notice in whose eyes it's a grace. Do you see that? Verse end of verse 20. "This is a gracious thing in whose sight? in the sight of God." God notices, right? We we get the idea that God sees everything and God knows everything and often that leads us to go, oh no, he sees. God's looking for opportunities to to see the grace of people who obey him and trust him. God's eager to bless that. It's a good thing. It's a credit. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God. There's a Latin phrase that uh, many churches are named after and, and people have talked about for centuries of The phrase is Coram Deo, Coram Deo, before the face of God. All of us live every moment before the face of God. But there are some things that God sees and gets excited about. There are some things that God sees and and he pulls over some angels. There are some things that God sees and he says, Hey, Peter, they're living out that stuff you wrote about. Get over here, you got to see this. And it's when people humbly Submit to authority. I want to show you this in Isaiah chapter 6, or I'm sorry, chapter 66. There's an incredible passage. It shows you what God looks for. Here's what he says, Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? Do you get the picture there? Like God is sitting up on, on, on his chair, like many of you will be in a few hours in your Sunday coma. And, and God's feet are resting on the earth. Right, earth is my footstool. He's going, What, what, what are you going to build for me? What are you going to do for me? Answer nothing. Right, God has no needs. Verse 2 All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares Lord, right? God doesn't need us, right? This is like my, my, high, or my college baseball coach who would say, we had baseball before you were here, and we'll have baseball when you leave. You're not that big a deal, right? God's here before, right? But, but, but then he says this, but this is the one to whom I look. Right, listen, I don't need anything. I'm God. I'm sitting on the throne of my universe, But but there's something that catches my eye. This is the one to whom I'll look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my words. That's the same kind of attitude that it takes to willingly submit to authority. So submission is godly because it's a gracious thing. It's it's a credit in God's eyes. Uh, The second thing is it fulfills your calling. Fulfills your calling as a follower of Christ... to to submit uh, to authority. It fulfills your calling. Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It fulfills your calling. This kind of suffering where you're doing what is right and the people in authority either don't notice or don't care or even scorn you for it and, and you suffer the consequences of a difficult environment. You suffer, you suffer the consequences of injustice. That is normal. That, that, that's your calling. You're called to that. That's what's, that's what's expected. That's what Peter's trying to say. Now, this strikes us as incredibly strange, especially those of us in, in modern Western society, those of us in America, I came across, um, there's a few different Twitter accounts that talk about this and websites, but have any of you seen the idea of uh, first world problems? First world problems, right? These are problems that we all complain about but that really are only relevant in first world countries that are highly affluent and developed. So here's an example of a few first world problems. I took such a long shower this morning that the hot water ran out. (laughs) Right, okay, move to rural China. Don't have that problem. When my dishwasher's running, I have to turn the volume on the TV up too loud. The restaurant didn't have Coke, so I had to order Pepsi. Right? These are all first world problems. right? My freezer setting was so cold that now my ice cream has freezer burn. Or one that I actually did. I accidentally dropped my iPhone in the toilet, and now the camera light won't turn off. Right? The, and, and, and think about this. Most of your complaining, most of the stuff you gripe about, the flight that was delayed and the traffic, right? First world problem. It, 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 you don't want to deal with it? Fine. Go to Belize or somewhere else. But but it shows how entitled we are, right? We we don't think we deserve any kind of suffering, any kind of discomfort, any kind of inconvenience. And and Peter here is saying, this is your calling. You're called to suffer inconvenience. You're you're called to suffer injustice. You're called to suffer difficulties. It's your calling. And so when we submit even to a crooked, ungodly people, it fulfills our calling. Here's the last thing it does is it imitates Jesus, Submission is godly because it imitates Jesus. I love this idea in verse uh, 21. Look at verse 21. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And so now Peter is going to say, listen, I, I want to remind you that, that you're a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus. And, and, if, and if Jesus had to suffer unjustly, then so will you. And Jesus has come and he has left you an example, an example. Now this word example in verse 21 is, a, is an educational word. It, it's, it's a word that you would use in teaching a child to write the alphabet. So we're uh, my my youngest Caitlin is is three and is doing some preschool stuff at home. And and the other day I, I walked in and, and there were letters and she was tracing the alphabet. Right? There were there were there were these lines, and they'll trace pictures. This is saying Jesus has left behind something for you to trace. He's left an example. Your life is to look like his. You're to follow, you're to literally trace his steps. That's what this means. Jesus has done this. This imitates Jesus. When we imitate Jesus, Jesus gets honor. Jesus gets credit. Jesus gets glory. And this is fundamentally a huge part of what Jesus did. Think about this. Think think about whatever you feel like is difficult for you to submit to. And think about what Jesus has done. Look at verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So Jesus was completely innocent. He he, he did not sin. He did not lie. He did not blaspheme God. He, He was totally innocent. Nonetheless, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who justly judges. We looked last week at the idea that Jesus said to Pilate, you'd have no authority if it wasn't given to you from above. And this is saying, even though Jesus was totally innocent, even though Jesus had done nothing wrong, he didn't speak up, he didn't retaliate, he didn't fight back. I remember in ninth grade, um, one time I had a, English uh, test, and, and uh, sitting in front of me was a girl named Marin Oldershaw. And Marin came in late and didn't know the instructions on the test. And so I told her a couple things about what she was supposed to do. And the teacher, I forget the teacher's name, she, uh, she said, You guys need to stay after class. And we got called in for this whole thing. I was accused of cheating, accused of you know, giving answers to Marin. I probably would have if she'd asked, but, but I didn't. And and I remember, I I was innocent. I, I didn't do that. And I remember just the, I got so angry. And so, right, if you've ever been accused of something you didn't do, it's infuriating. And Jesus, the godly one, held his tongue. Didn't fight back. And then he pays for our sin. He does this for us. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So Jesus submitted to this ungodly, crooked authority of Pilate and of the the Jewish leaders. Why? Because of us. He suffered in our place. And he's the shepherd who oversees and cares for us. Verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter here is quoting all kinds of references to Isaiah 53. If you want to look up Isaiah 53 and cross-reference it with this, he's pulling out a lot of different things and saying that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy made 700 years earlier by Isaiah. But he's saying Jesus suffered unjustly. And he did it for you. And now you're called to trace his steps. Finally, the power to submit. So we've looked at what submission is. It's placing yourself under authority with respect, even when it hurts, for God's sake. We looked at why. Why? Submission is godly. Finally, the power to submit. Because what you're being asked to do here is impossible. Do you realize that? I mean, there's a reason why everyone you work with who doesn't know the Lord, whenever anything happens to them that's unjust, there's a reason they freak out. Because that is absolutely normal. And the new normal of Christianity is completely different than the normal of how we typically think. And, and so... so where do we get the power to do that? I mean, where am I going to get the power to submit day after day, month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year to someone who's crooked? Where will I get that power? It only comes through the gospel message presented in verse 24. I know a number of you are, are newer to Christianity. Some of you are exploring this for the first time. Some of you have been around a while, but you're still kind of kicking the tires and trying to figure stuff out. And, and from time to time, we'll ask people, what's the gospel? And we get a lot of different answers. Uh, it's the books of the Bible. It's the follow the rules. It's, I mean, we get a lot of different things. Uh, a lot of times they're wrong. Um, but that's okay. That's why we're here. We're here to help and help clarify and correct and do those things. Next time someone asks you, if they ever do, what's the gospel? Answer, 1 Peter 2.24. What's the gospel? That was weak. I said the next time, all right? What's the gospel? Okay, let's look at it. He himself bore, that means carried, endured, had accounted to him, bore our sins in his body on the tree it's the cross that we why okay so that's that's what the gospel jesus carried our sins the disobedience the 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 sins that you commit of of hurt towards people and the the times you fail to do the right thing all of that sin is is heaped on jesus And even though he is completely innocent, he's dying there on a cross, condemned as guilty for your sin and mine. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And Peter, all throughout this book, is calling us to be righteous, calling us to be holy. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Be holy as I am holy. Be righteous, be godly. That is his call in all of this thing. But what he knows is that's impossible if it's just human effort. I'm just going to try harder. No, what you need is Jesus doing this on your behalf. You, You trust in him, and Jesus did this so that you would die to sin, so that you would die to that reaction that has to get vengeance, that has to get even, that has to be heard. And instead you could live to righteousness, humbly, Submitting yourself even to ungodly authority with respect even when it hurts. That's the gospel message. This is why the gospel is relevant. The gospel is not just relevant for how you go to heaven, though that's incredibly true. It's relevant for now. Everything God is calling us to do, living righteously, it comes through faith in Christ who was our substitute. He took our sins so that we could take and live out his righteousness. That is good news. And only the gospel can empower something so difficult. Listen, godly people respectfully submit to authority. Let's pray that God would make us those people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it instructs us, the the way it reasons with us, the way it helps us to have clarity on what you expect. And God, thank you most of all for Jesus who doesn't just call us to live a new way but empowers it, who died so that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. God, help us as we go into our workplaces, as we go into our teams, as we live in our communities, any place that we have to submit to authority. Help us to do it in a way that honors you. We pray in Jesus' great name, amen.